0: Good morning. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and our focus will be on verse 8 this morning, but we're going to read verses 8 through 11 to see a portion, a section of text that we'll study this Sunday and the next two Sundays. Because up to this point in the, in the more recent portion of 1 Peter that we've been studying, the focus and the angle has been on how we should live with relation to outsiders, our conduct in relation to people outside of the church and how they might treat us. But now Peter makes a, a transition into three consecutive commands that deal with one another and how we ought to relate to people within the church and the brotherhood and community of the church. So we're not dealing at this point with our conduct in relation to outsiders, but our conduct in relation to one another. So let's read verses 8 through 11 of 1 Peter chapter 4, and our focus will be on verse 8. This is the word of God. Above all, keep loving one another To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See the three one another's. Verse 8, keep loving one another. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another. Verse 10, serve one another. So three one another's a common way in which the apostles teach the church to live as Christians. Let's focus on verse 8. And our outline this morning will have four points. Four points as we consider the command to love one another. The first of these points is entitled, Without Which Not. Without Which Not. Notice with me that Peter introduces his command to love with a phrase that we have translated, Above All. In older translations, it would say, Before All. As a matter of first importance, above all, before all, first and foremost, all of these English phrases I'm using to to communicate Peter's emphasis on importance and necessity. Peter gives an emphatic, uh, emphatic emphasis. Sorry for the redundancy. He gives a very strong emphasis to this command to love one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And so the Christian life should be marked by a mutual love. Christians love one another. Now, I want to press upon you the necessity and the importance of this command. And so therefore, the the title of this heading, Without Which Not, if you've read um, more academic literature or articles Sometimes you'll, you'll see a Latin phrase, which is sine qua non. You might think, what is that? Someone will say something like, this is a sine qua non of such and such, which is Latin for without which not. It is something of so much importance that if you take that thing away, you, you lose it. Uh, so imagine, for example, baseball, but you don't have a baseball. <laughs> Everyone goes out to the field. You've got your mitts. You've got your bats. You've got all the things, but you don't have a baseball. Can you play baseball? No, you can't. Baseball is a baseball, is something without which you cannot play baseball. Baseball. There is no baseball without a baseball. So also, you can't have a taco without taco meat. It would just be a tortilla. The carne asada or the carnitas, yes, is something without which there is no taco. So also, Peter and the apostles teach us that love is something without which there is no Christianity. Without which not. It's a necessity. It is of so much importance and necessity that you you take the the love out of the Christian, and you you don't have a Christian. You take the love out of Christianity, and you don't have Christianity. Now, to to prove this, to show this, that Peter's saying above all is, is getting at this kind of importance... We need to do a brief survey of the New Testament teaching on love, beginning with Jesus and his instruction to the disciples. And so various of these verses are just one verse at a time, so you don't have to turn to them if you don't want to, but I'll give you the references. So a a, a quick survey to show the importance and the necessity of love, so, so important, without which it is not. John 13, 35. Our Lord and Savior says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What would the inverse be? If you don't have love for one another, no one will know that you are my disciples. So take away the love. No one knows you belong to Jesus. It's so necessary. Without which, not. Peter, in 1 Peter 4.8, this is actually the third time in the same short letter that he has taught us that we ought to love one another. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, after an introduction about who we are in Christ as new creatures destined for glory and guarded by God, he says in verse 22 of chapter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we have been made new creatures, to live in holy obedience. And what is that? Peter says it is sincere, brotherly love. It is earnest love to one another from a pure heart. Peter then taught us this again in First Peter 3, verses 8 through 9. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a, t- and a humble mind, and so on and so forth. Brotherly love again. So First Peter 4, 8 is actually the third Time that in the same letter, Peter emphasizes and requires and commands that Christians love one another. This is something that Paul teaches in many places. Would you please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 as we read more than just one verse? Ephesians 4, a good parallel passage. We'll begin the reading in verse 31. And Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So get rid of all those bad things that destroy and divide and disunite. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice that Paul keeps two things together that Peter keeps together, love and forgiveness. We'll talk about forgiveness later, but Peter and Paul both call Christians to love one another and to forgive one another. Paul also warns us of the danger of not having love, that without which not. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I have this long list of gifts, gifts that are impressive, but I have not love, what am I? He says, I'm nothing. You take love out of the Jenga tower and it all collapses, without which not. So the apostles not only positively command us, love one another, they also negatively warn us it is utterly, absolutely necessary. Now let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. This will be the last passage in our brief survey. 1 John chapter 3, where we continue to see the same emphasis of necessity, without which it is not. 1 John chapter 3 Beginning in verse 14. The Apostle John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Let's pause. So John makes love a necessity for knowing that we have been born again because if you take love out, then you abide in death, without which not. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's continuing the argument. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So John makes it evident our Savior gave us an example of love. If we say we know him and we follow him and that we have passed from death to life, we also must love one another. And it is so necessary that if we do not, then we are murderers, we are children of Satan who follow his example, and we abide in death. So the consistent teaching from Christ to his apostles, which is really just Jesus through his apostles, is that love is a necessary and command for the christian so as we come back to first peter four verse eight and peter says above all first and foremost before all above all keep loving one another we need to understand the, the force of the necessity that peter is urging without which it is not as a baseball is necessary for baseball And without the baseball, there is no baseball. So also, love is is necessary for the Christian and Christianity, such that if you remove the love, there is no Christian and there is no Christianity. Above all, keep loving one another. So we've seen its necessity and importance. Let's move on to the second point. Number two, mend and make do. Mend and and make do. Have you ever heard that phrase before? It's okay if you show your hands. Are you familiar with the phrase, mend and make do? Oh dear, (laughs) it's not a hard to understand phrase, but it comes from World War II in England. And they used, we might call them propaganda, but it's not negative propaganda. They used phrases and slogans to encourage the people to sustain the burden of war and to persevere under the attacks of, of the Germans against Britain. And one of the phrases that they used to have a wartime mindset of perseverance and endurance was mend and make do. We can't get new things. We can't get fresh things. We have to mend what we have and make do with what we have. So don't be, if you constantly are trying to get new things, you're taxing the overall system of the country. We need to mend and make do. It's how we will persevere. It's how we endure. Uh, And people who lived through that time often have that mindset. No, we're not going to get a new one. We're going to fix what we have. We're going to mend and make do. We need to fix what we have and find solutions and ways to live with what we have. We can't get more. We can't get new things. Now, I want you to notice that Peter says that we ought to uh, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly earnestly when peter commands us to keep loving one another and to keep loving one another earnestly he is commanding us to love with persistence and intensity keep at it keep trying keep going don't give up it's a present and constant action because to love one another earnestly is to be intense about it. I don't mean intense in some grandiose matter, but in a dedicated and intentional uh, manner that shows effort and desire and sincerity. As Peter already said in chapter 1, he said, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, sincerity and intensity and persistence. Now, I use the phrase mend and make do because in our culture, We, ourselves, are part of this. Uh, We have a culture that will throw something away and get something new at the first sign of damage or difficulty. We do this with the products that we buy. If there's any kind of, even just a visual imperfection, we will return it. No way. Zero stars. I can't believe they sent me an imperfect product. If there's any issue, any defect or imperfection, we are sending it back and getting a full refund, or a replacement, and more. I want to speak to the manager. Now, sadly, that's the way that we deal not just with products, but with relationships, with people. Where the moment there's a difficulty, what do, what do people do in the world around us? The moment there's difficulty, divorce. Just, it's broken. Why even try to fix it? Why even try? Just get a new one. Now. There are lawful and legitimate reasons for a divorce, but we all know that for too many in the world around us, divorce is just marriage's ejection seat. Oh no, things are bad. Hit the button. I'm out. That's what the unhappy person does. The relationship is difficult. Something's broken. Get out and get a new one. Sadly, it's, it's not a joke. It's all too real. And we all know that. Because we live in a self-centered world and society and consumerism, I get what I want, it affects how people relate to one another and it affects how people relate to the church. Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly. So when there's a conflict or a difficulty at church, what do people do? They just leave and go to a different one. Or I guess equally as bad we might say, though not as visibly bad, stay at church and just ignore the person you had a conflict with. Well, they eat lunch over there and now we eat lunch over here and we just find ways to never meet at church. Which is the same as someone who's not divorced but is practically divorced. They still live together in the same home but they might as well be divorced because they just live separate lives and don't want to speak to each other. The same thing happens in the church where people avoid each other. They don't want to talk to that person. The Apostle Peter says, stop it. None of that. Keep loving one another earnestly. Start loving one another earnestly, and don't stop, and don't give up. And he says, do this above all. Your first marching order is to love one another and to keep loving one another Earnestly, and when there's a problem, you mend and make do. You fix it, and you find a way to make it work. This is necessary and important. If you say, well, I'll just exempt myself from loving my brother. Wait a second, without which not. You want to delete love from your Christian repertoire and think you're still a Christian? No. It's not okay to just be okay with distance and separation between brothers and sisters in the church. It's not acceptable. It takes persistence and intensity to overcome the sin of our own hearts and the sins of others that cause these conflicts between brothers and sisters in the church. And we'll talk about that later in the sermon. We need to build up our relationships and clean up our relationships in the church with Christian love. So I ask you, is there anyone in the church that you've written off in your mind? Is there someone in the church that you avoid or ignore because of some past conflict? Is there someone in the church against whom you hold a grudge, whether they know it or not, and everything that they do or say is tainted and filtered through that past offense? They offended you at some time in the past, and now they cannot do anything right because you filter everything through that. You may say, that doesn't sound like the church. This happens in every church. It happens all the time. And it's unchristian, and it's unchristlike, and it's unacceptable. It's saying there's a defect, throw it away. It's imperfect, get rid of it. I want something different, I want something new. But Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly mend and make do don't throw away your brother or sister in christ just because something went wrong fix it mend and make do is that always easy no but we must do it and james taught us in james three eighteen that those that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace we sow peace we will reap peace if we sow love we will reap love But when you sow something, do you get the benefit immediately? No. It takes time. It takes cultivation. It takes careful watering and gardening in order to see that harvest. So also in the church, mend and make do is not going to be necessarily a quick and easy fix. It takes time, intentionality. If only Peter said, keep loving one another fervently. Oh wait, that's exactly what he said. Because our mindset would be to give up so quickly. Just return and reject would be our mode of operating. But he says, no, not return and reject. Mend and make do. Keep loving one another earnestly. Let's move on to our third point. But before I give you the title of the third point, I want you to notice that the second half of uh, verse 8 is a quotation. Your Bible will probably mark this in the margin uh, since love covers a multitude of sins, Peter is quoting Proverbs ten twelve, but he's actually only quoting half of Proverbs ten twelve, and I want to consider the entirety of that verse. So, would you turn to Proverbs ten twelve with me? <clears throat> Proverbs ten verse twelve <clears throat> says this. It says hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses okay so this is what we're going to look at for the next point point. and point number three is where there is no victor there is no victim where there is no victor there is no victim now we're not speaking of our dear brother victor <laughs> talking about lowercase victor. Where there is no victor, there is no victim. We've seen that love is a necessity. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And we've seen that it must be uh, intentional. It must be persevering, persistence, intensity, intentionality. Not just getting rid of, rejecting and replacing, but mending and making do in order to better understand this and do this peter then quotes from proverbs 10:12 since love covers a multitude of sins but let's just let's just consider the entirety of proverbs 10:12 hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses so we have a contrast between someone who provokes conflicts and someone who resolves Conflicts. Hatred provokes conflict. It stirs up strife. Love covers or resolves conflict. Now, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, renders this in an interesting and, I think, helpful way. It's not a different teaching. It just sort of says it in a slightly different way that helps us to see something important. So the Greek rendering of this verse, Proverbs 10, 12, says this. It says, hatred stirs up victory." Affection covers all those who do not love victory. So hatred stirs up victory. Affection, or or love, covers all those who do not love victory. In this translation, the emphasis is that the person who hates is trying to win for their own sake, which will do what? Stir up strife. The person who hates loves themselves and so they want to win hatred stirs up victory whereas affection loving uh, being loving towards others not loving yourself but loving others it covers all those who do not love victory who are not seeking their own who are not trying to win but rather have peace with those around them so let's let's take the teaching of proverbs 10:12 and its various translations which help us get at the sense and think about Peter's teaching in 1 Peter 4, 8. Peter says love one another earnestly. In order to do that we need to realize that loving one another means we do not try to defeat one another. A loving relationship is not one of victor and victim, winner and loser. Now, there are relationships that have a hierarchy of authority. We're not talking about that. That's that's separate. That's an order. We're talking about someone who's trying to defeat the other person, someone who's trying to win for their own sake. But we need to realize if there's no victor, if no one's trying to win, then there's no victim. No one's losing. If a relationship is not a competition, then it is peaceful and mutually benefiting. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is not self-seeking. So those who love others do not seek to ascend above others and conquer them. Rather, those who love others give themselves up for others. We need to think in this way. If only one wins, you both lose. If there's a winner and a loser, you're both losers in a relationship. Because hatred lights fires and seeks victory and stirs up strife and conflict. But love covers and puts out those fires, not seeking victory, not seeking to win, not seeking ascendancy and ruling and lording it over other people, but loving one another. If one of you wins, you both lose. Now, this sounds like marriage advice, and it really can be applied very directly to marriage, But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the church. Peter says that in the church we ought to love one another and that love covers a multitude of sins. But the inverse of that, not quoted by Peter, is that hatred stirs up strife. And so if none of us is trying to win, then we all win. Because if there's no victor, there's no victim. If we're selfish, we will seek victory And ascendancy for ourselves, which creates a you versus me scenario. But as soon as our relationship or friendship or brotherhood or or sisterhood in the church has a victor, then there's a victim. Paul says, regard others as better than yourself. Uh, Peter already told us earlier in his epistle to to put away uh, any reviling or backbiting, any competition. He said of unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, all of these things would lead us to not seek to win against others, but to love and to live with one another. Paul goes so far in teaching the necessity of not trying to defeat one another that he even says in 1 Corinthians 6-7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not, suffer? Why not rather suffer wrong?" Why not rather be defrauded, Paul says. Paul says as soon as a Christian and a Christian are in, a, are in a, a relation of lawsuit where one wins and one loses, he says you've already lost. It's already a defeat for you. Now, we may not be taking one another to court, but there are many dynamics in a church relationship where people can be trying to get the better or to ascend. Hatred stirs up strife. Hatred seeks victory. But love covers offenses. Love covers those who do not love victory. They are wrapped up in a blanket of affection. In Christian love, we seek the good of the other. And so long as you are seeking the good of the other, blessing the other, that is to love, then there's no victor and therefore no victims. Let me ask you, therefore, Do you have a competitive mindset with someone else at church? What? No one would have that. Of course they do. Do you have a competitive mindset with anyone else at church? Do you interpret others' use of gifts as pride simply because you're envious, which really just reveals pride in your own heart? Do you wish that you were receiving the recognition or the opportunities that others are receiving? Do you wish that it was you and not them? Do you secretly hope that others might fail so that you might succeed or so that your success will not be threatened? you you hear this? This is winner-loser language. This is victor-victim language, and it takes place in the church, brothers and sisters. But to think in terms of their loss and your success is already a defeat for you. To think in terms of competition is already a defeat for you. Loving one another earnestly is entirely opposite to competing against one another earnestly (laughs) or fervently. If one person wins, you both lose. But where there are no victors, there are no victims. So abandon hatred, to use the language of Proverbs, which is self-serving, strife-provoking, and victory-seeking, and cultivate love, which would rather suffer wrong than see the relationship destroyed. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly inserting proverbs 10:12 hatred stirs up strife and seeks victory but love covers a multitude of sins fourthly and lastly love covers it does not cover up love covers it does not cover up the part of proverbs 10:12 that peter does quote obviously is that love covers all offenses or as peter puts it love covers a multitude of sins so we need to understand what is the nature of the covering that love does love covers a multitude of sins what does that mean what kind of covering is this and we have to answer this question uh, correctly and carefully Because there are consequences if we do not. Love covers sin, but does not cover sin up. So what does it mean to cover sin? It's really quite simple. It's two things. First, I will confess my sins against you. Second, I will forgive your sins against me. I will confess my sins against you. I will forgive your sins against me. This is how love covers a multitude of sins. Peter presupposes that sin is going to be a part of our relationships, which everyone who stops to think about it acknowledges immediately. There's sin in us, so there's sin in our relationships. How do we deal with that? How do we cover it? How do we put out the fire? Through confession of sin and forgiveness. Of sin. These are the means. Confession of sin and forgiveness of sin are the means by which love covers sin. James commands us in James 5 to confess our sins to one another. Paul commanded us in Ephesians 4 to forgive one another. Peter says, This is what love does. If you crank the handle of the love machine, confession and forgiveness come out. It's what love does, it's what love is. And Peter quotes Proverbs 10.12 as a, as a settled principle. Since, he says, since we all know, since it's a fact, since it's a truth, that love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10.12 simply illustrates in a short saying what was already true of what love does naturally. It covers a multitude of sins. It seeks reconciliation. It seeks resolution. It seeks cl- uh, clearing and cleaning the relationship. Love covers a multitude of sins, and it does this through confession of sin and forgiveness of sins. So therefore, to love one another earnestly, we must confess our sins against others to them. I have sinned against you in this way. Will you please forgive me? And on the other side, loving one another earnestly means forgiving them freely and willingly. I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, sister. In this way, when one confesses and the other forgives, voluntarily confessing and very voluntarily forgiving, both willing and open, what does this do but cover sin? It puts out the fire. Instead of strife being stirred up, love has covered the sin. It's removed it. The mess is gone. It's cleaned up. The fire has been put out. What is there? What conflict is there between us now? We've just resolved the sin. Love covers sin. We should not fear to confess our sins to others. But what if they don't forgive me? You still need to confess to them. But what about the consequences of my actions? You still need to confess to them. But what if I will lose a measure of control and advantage in this relationship? Oh, you just said it out loud. (laughs) Some people don't want to confess their sin to someone else because they have some kind of advantage. Now you have multiple problems. No. No. Humble yourself. But what if they use this against? Stop. You're already losing. You've already lost if you're thinking this way. None of those are valid reasons or excuses. And of course, there's the flip side. You must forgive. Forgive freely. Forgive willingly. Remember, as we said in the marriage sermons, you've got the forgiveness right there. You're holding it right behind you. are willing and ready to give the forgiveness. You're just waiting for them to, to ask you will you please forgive me for my, here you go, <laughs> I've got the forgiveness right there for you. That's how love covers sin. They, they can hardly finish their, their confession of their sin, and you've got the forgiveness waiting. In this way, will we not live together and live with one another in a truly loving way, with a multitude of sins? Absolutely. So love covers sin through confession and forgiveness, But love does not cover sin in the sense of covering it up. Why? Because we just said that covering sin is dependent on confession of sin and forgiveness of sin. It's dealing with sin. It's cleaning up the mess. Covering up sin is, we're just going to hide this under the bed, and no one will know that the mess has not actually been cleaned up. It's just been pushed under the bed. Children, have you ever tried that? Your parents tell you to clean your room, and you just push everything under the bed? or put it in a closet. I've tried it. It doesn't work. They pull everything out and then you have to clean it up twice. It doesn't work because you didn't actually clean the ro- you didn't actually clean the room. So also, when it comes to sin, if you say let's just cover this up, it's not covered. It is covered up, but it's not in any way shape or form what Peter is talking about and it is not Christian Love, and no one should ever think that it is loving or that it is love to hide the sins of others. Nor should you ever accept the argument from someone that if you loved me, you wouldn't tell anyone about this. That Let me spell out what that is for you. Capital A-B-U-S-E. If you loved me, if you love me, you won't... Tell anyone about this. That's called manipulation. That's called abuse. Love does not cover up sin by concealing it. Love covers sin through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Now, do we reveal everyone's sins to everyone's, to everyone? No, of course not people against whom we've sinned, we confess to them. People who ought to know about a certain thing, it needs to be made known to them. So this is not talking about reveal everyone's sin to everyone, but you know what I'm talking about. No, don't tell these people who ought to know about my sin about my sin. No, that's covering sin up. And it should never be done, especially in the name of love. That's a lie. It's a distortion. It's a perversion. Manipulation and abuse. Now let's come back to the right and true and proper covering of sin. Confession and forgiveness. Peter says it's a multitude of sins that love covers. A multitude. That's a lot. We need to be prepared for a multitude of sins in our midst. Let me ask you a a question. How many bug parts are acceptable to you and your food? Did you ask me that? The FDA has standards, which stipulate how many bug parts per grams are acceptable in food manufacturing. Did you know that? Did you want to know that? No, thank you. If I tell you that there are a few microscopic bug parts per x number of grams of food, you'll be grossed out, and then you'll accept it. It's just reality. But what if I told you there's a multitude of bug parts in your food? You would not eat the food. So now you come to church, and we say, there's a multitude of sin here. What are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, no, no way. Peter says, there's a multitude of sin here, but love covers it all. We need to be prepared. We need to say, I'm, I'm here, ready to love fervently, earnestly, even in the face or against a multitude of sin, In the church, between Christians, we need to have such a love that can handle a multitude of sins. And we need to keep loving one another earnestly through confession and forgiveness covering that multitude of sins. Now, where would such a love come from? Where would such a love come from? Well, we we read it from Paul earlier. Just as God in Christ forgave you. Christian love in confession and forgiveness, in bearing and forbearing, in giving and forgiving, in persevering in love, even against a multitude of sins, is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And Peter, throughout his letter, makes Jesus the exemplar, the model for how we ought to live, the pattern. And this is no different. In fact, is there any other example or model or pattern for us to follow in that of love and forgiveness other than Jesus Christ? His life and his death shows us what true love is. He said it himself, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, that he give himself up for his friends. The ultimate giving for the ultimate forgiving. So it is in the life and the death of Jesus we see the ultimate servant and the ultimate source and display of love. And that fills our cup until it overfloweth, it runneth over. And Christ's love so fills us that it rebounds and redounds upon others. And we love with Christ's love. We love with God's love. We love with that gracious and merciful and superabundant and rich love that God lavished upon us just as God in Christ forgave you. Who would sign up to cover, to clean up a multitude of sins. Christians say, me, because God covered, cleaned up a multitude of my sins. And it is his grace at work in me. It is his power at work in me. It is his example that motivates me and gives me me hope and love towards others. Helps me to be more loving. It helps me to love more. It is Jesus' example. It is his life and his death that helps us to see that love covers a multitude of offenses or a multitude of sins. You've offended me. I'm out of here. No, we mend and we make do. You've offended me. I'm out of here. No, love covers a multitude of sins. You offended me. I'm out of here. No, brother, I love you persistently. I love you fervently. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, we need to, as we receive this command from Peter, take it with the utmost of seriousness. There's no opt-out clause for this. It is a necessity without which there is no Christian or Christianity. Above all, keep loving one another. Nor should we quit as soon as there is trouble or conflict. Well, we'll find a new church. Or I'll avoid that person till the day I die in this church. No, mend and make do. We must keep loving one another earnestly, persistently, and intensely. We must not seek victory over one another. Hatred stirs up strife and seeks victory, but if no one's seeking victory, then there's no victors and therefore no victims. Rather, we must be like Jesus Christ, covering sin with forgiveness, though not covering it up with deceit and manipulation. We must love with a love that covers a multitude of sins. Not, well, I'm okay with a a few sins here and there. No, the multitude is grievous. No one wants it, no one likes it. And Lord willing, it will not be a multitude all at the same time. But whatever the multitude is, whatever the quantity is, the grace of God is sufficient. The love of God is sufficient. The mercy of God is sufficient. The forgiveness of God is sufficient that we can forgive one another confessing our sins and forgiving and when we do this when we love one another in this way people will know that we are jesus disciples let's pray our father in heaven how we thank you for your love lavished upon us in jesus christ as he gave himself for us that we might be forgiven in him we pray that you would help us to more earnestly and fervently live this out in our lives, loving one another, continuing to love one another, keeping on loving one another. Above all, help us to acknowledge the importance and the necessity that you have laid upon this command through the repeated teaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to seek others' welfare and blessing before our own and to not seek to be victors over others, to remove from our hearts any competition or backbiting or envy or resentment in our hearts. And we pray that you would help us to cover a multitude of sins through confession and forgiveness, bearing and forbearing, being patient with one another and kind to one another, forgiving one another just as you forgave us in Christ Jesus. And we pray that what would result from this would be a clear and consistent testimony that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.